we have to have a lot of joy to be able to continue because otherwise it's just like there's just too much you know there's too much immense pain to hold welcome to voices of esalen i'm sam stern my guests today are mirrored fatality a non-binary performance art duo slash experimental healing noise punk band mirrored fatality consists of mango and summer I met Mango and Summer in 2021 when they were artists in residence at Esalen, and they made an immediate impression on me. First with their rather powerful fashion statements, which could be described as like neo-pagan warrior punks following a post-apocalyptic prayer. But then as I got to know them more, I saw their unwavering commitment to their art and music. And finally, as they became part of the Esalen community, I witnessed their deep kindness and was able to appreciate their incredible willingness to explore and educate around the issues that they care deeply about. The world that Mango and Summer live in is not the world I live in. You know, during this last year, legislative bodies in the United States have been busy creating and sometimes passing a deluge of anti-trans bills. Florida's HB 1557, also known as Don't Say Gay, prevents teachers from discussing LGBTQ identities up to the third grade. Idaho's HF2416 prohibits trans students from participating in sports that match their chosen gender. Tennessee's SB2777 would make it so public school teachers are not required to refer to students by their chosen gender pronoun. But perhaps most disturbingly, in South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Ohio, and Illinois, healthcare professionals can elect not to treat transgender or queer people if they believe it violates their religious beliefs. And just to be specific, this is not just about gender-affirming surgeries, it's for all healthcare. Clearly, this legal landscape is in the process of producing a society that is profoundly difficult for a lot of people. So what's to be done? Mirrored Fatality's answer lies in art and in activism, two practices that for them are intertwined by necessity. Mango and Summer's intention for their art, in their words, is for queer, trans, black, indigenous, and people of color to embody their rage and holistic healing with the aim of collective liberation. Today's episode is built out of two interviews that I did with Mango and Summer, one in 2021 when we went out to the Esalen farm and stood by the ocean, and one recently in 2022 when I brought them back They came to Esalen for a day after performing in the Bay Area. And what I did, I mixed both interviews together, and I've also woven in some pieces of their music so you get a sense of their vibe. These are my friends and my teachers, Mango and Summer, also known as Mirrored Fatality. I hope you enjoy. I'm Summer, I use any pronouns, and I'm part of Mirrored Fatality. Mango, my name is Mango. I use Ia, Shasila, Ella, they, them pronouns, and I'm the other vessel of Mirrored Fatality. Mirrored Fatality is a project that's really centered on how we can create containers for queer and trans black indigenous people of color to not only channel their anger and rage, but also have moments of collective healing. And we live in a world that so actively does not prioritize the lives of our community and we want to create a space that not only prioritizes, uplifts, supports, nourishes, replenishes, welcomes, 
those who historically have not been welcomed. Also find ways to spread that to our diasporic countries of South Asia and the Philippines and make sure that we're also finding ways to incorporate radical education about what's going on outside of the U.S. as well. We use our music, which we refer to as experimental healing noise punk, as a way to share the stories and the struggles and the fights that are happening either within our friends, our family, or the fights that we're strictly dependent upon. For example, like indigenous sovereignty in Mindanao or in Kashmir or prison abolition in the city we grew up in, in Los Angeles, or the food justice or food sovereign movement in all the farms that we've been part of, whether that's in upstate New York or Wisconsin, or in community gardens all over California. We put all of those stories, all of those moments into our music to not only have that as containers in the places that we are, but share them worldwide and share them with a group of people who may not even enter a place like the places that we enter. Audre Lorde talks about the use of anger and how anger can be a force for change, a force for activism, something that when channeled can be used to create change. Punk is like a genre that's like very much about like rage and anger and like anger at injustice, anger at the system. And it's a genre that has actually has roots and has been started by black folks and then has been co-opted a lot by white men mostly and it's like you know when you really think about it the communities that have the most anger and rightfully so have the most anger are the communities like outside of just like white communities especially like trans and queer people who go through so much injustice on a daily basis punk is a way to express that and like to be in a space where like you're not going to be policed. You're not going to get in trouble for yelling, for being angry, for expressing those emotions because like you're doing it on a stage where people are listening and like want to come see it versus like that doesn't happen on a daily basis. Like you can't walk down the street screaming about everything and people aren't going to be like what's going on? Like are you okay? Like should we call the police, you know? So I think in a world where, you know, if you're a non-white person, your rage or your anger or any emotions that are more than just being pleasable or like happy are policed and also put into like mental institutions and that's like the direct way that like folks of color are then put back into the prison industrial complex. We feel that like experimental healing noise punk is a way, a safe place for people who want to express their anger and their rage and the fight that they're, we're all committed to and like constantly fighting for to have a container. 
in like white punk spaces like there'll be a mosh pit and there's just all this anger and it's just in the room and all these tall like white men are like moshing and you have people who are coming from their day-to-day -day lives who want to come and also release and rage but may not feel safe to do so and are also not going to be angry is the same thing when that person on stage may be the reason why they're angry that day right so when we do experimental healing noise punk it's an avenue where the people who want to be rageful come they gather they mosh they yell but it's also one thing to just put all this anger on the floor and it's just simmering and you don't know what to do with it and instead of just like creating a container of anger we also create a container of healing Let's be angry, let's fight, let's talk about the things that are going wrong on our street, back home where our families are from, between our personal relationships, what's happening with our parents, what's happening with our coworker, and get angry about it. And then once we're angry about it, let's see how we can move forward. Let's see how we can hold each other. Let's see how we can pick each other off of the ground and breathe and ground and see that we're all angry about something and then move forward. You both identify as non-binary. I wonder if you could help me understand the difference between non-binary and trans. So non-binary is specifically either identifying as neither gender, like not feeling like either of the current ideas of gender of being like a male or like being like a man or being a woman, like fit one's own like personal gender expression. It's a lot more of just like seeing gender as a fluid state that cannot be like identified or pinned down or policed as like one thing or the other. Non-binary, most folks like identify with like they them pronouns which is just means like what I said basically of not feeling like you're either like a he or a she but you are like yeah like more fluid something in between or have pieces of either or don't identify with either at all and with trans trans is like a lot more about identifying not with the gender identity that you were born into but having a lot of like dysphoria and like wanting to shift and change to either like a different gender identity or a different way of being perceived by the world. Folks who identify as trans tend to want to get like gender affirming surgery, including like top surgery or facial feminization surgery or go on hormones, which folks who are non-binary, that's not always the case. If you're a non-binary person, like, you can, like, go into the world not identifying as male or female and can just be like, I'm non-binary and feel comfortable in your body, like, just as you are and your expression. Whereas a trans person, like a trans woman or a trans man might go into work and without any transmutation or shift, whether that's through hormones or tea or, like, gender-affirming surgery, they may not feel as safe or in their body or as euphoric in their body when they're going into work. So I feel like one thing that's really important is, like, the dysphoria that one might feel in their body when it comes to being non-binary 
non-binary or trans. And I think one of the huge issues right now is that currently in the U.S. and all over, a lot of gender-affirming surgery is seen as not something that's like credible or something that's serious when so many trans folks who do need this in order to go out into the world, not only to feel safe, but also just feel comfortable like being seen and perceived, like walking down the street feeling safe or going into work feeling safe. So I think that's like a huge difference between non-binary and trans that is important and you can also be non-binary and trans also but if you're just a non-binary person i think it's an extremely different experience because i think non-binary people are able to shape shift more and move into spaces more that trans people may not be able to which i think is an important difference there's definitely like more privileges that come with being a non-binary person than being perceived as trans especially for trans women and like specifically like black and brown trans women like there's a lot more just like violence and hate that happens and there's and that's like not an experience that all non-binary people can understand or share the human rights campaign which has been tracking these violent deaths estimates that four in five of all anti-transgender homicides are trans women of color we're seeing the second highest spike over a, a certain amount of time even in the midst of a quarantine again it shows just the heightened level of violence perpetuated against trans individuals as a society black folks make up about 12 or 13 percent of the population however uh, when you look at trans folks who've been killed black transgender women which is we represent such a small number of, of society overall but yet, such a high percentage of folks were being killed violently. Policy is one of the ways that we can provide protections against Black trans folks, and all trans folks, and all queer folks, and non-binary folks. Policies that not just identify hate crimes, but also enforce hate crimes. Those are very, very important. But then there's also um, anti-discrimination policy that will go a long way. I think that it's a charge. I, I use a use statement as a call of action, certainly to Black Lives Matter and to all other national movements, that they are much more incorporative of all of the intersections of who we are as human beings and as Black people in particular. And that includes queer, trans, and non-binary folks. Would you be open to talking about your own journey with gender? Yeah, I think that I started with identifying more as like non-binary just like after a lot of like personal stuff happened in my life and I was really starting to question like how I was being like perceived by the world and like how I wanted to be like perceived by the world and also my own understandings of gender and like what like what gender roles are and just unlearning like patriarchy and also just so many like internal shit I was like wanting to separate myself a little bit from that and I think now I'm in the space where I feel comfortable like identifying beyond any of the ideas that like are assigned and like the pronouns that exist right now because I don't feel like they actually can hold just like what i feel or like how I want to express I feel like none of those like 
words can like actually understand that experience and i think now like i'm in the space where i've experienced like a lot of gender dysphoria for sure and also have been just like experimenting more with wanting to present differently and i think like i'm constantly in a space of just like shape shifting how i like view myself and view my presentation so i think it like changes all the time I think, like, my experience with gender, like, started when I was, like, really young. Because I have two... I'm the oldest, and I have two younger brothers. And then my mom was, like, growing up, and she was, like, the only girl in the family. And then all her brothers were around because her older sister, like, left when she was 18 and got married and everything. And so, like, my mom was a very, like, masculine presence in my life because my dad left and everything. And when I was younger, like, I'd always be hanging out with all my guy cousins and my older cousins would always be like, are you a tomboy? And I'd be like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I'm just playing. Like, just genuinely, like, I don't even know what you guys are asserting on me. And I'd always hear stories of my mom being like, oh, when I was younger, I thought I was a boy. Like, I'd be at the beach with my shirt off and I would get in trouble from, like, my mom and my older cousins. And she'd be like, you need to put a shirt on. Like, you're a girl. So my mom, like, even though she extremely identifies as female, I feel like the ways that she was raised was very masculine and the ways that I was raised was very masculine. As I've been able to leave home and be in more, be around other queer and trans people, like I was realizing like, oh, there's more than just being like a girl or a boy. Like I can actually just move and be fluid with what I feel on the everyday or how I'm feeling on the everyday. My mom and I have had the language for non-binary because honestly those words are Western, those words are like from the English language so of course she doesn't use that. And in Filipino and Kapampangan culture like when you refer to someone there's not even any gender in it which is why I use, I also identify with the pronouns like sha, sila, ia, ila because that basically translates to they them so like even outside of western like culture and in kapangpangan culture like we don't even gender people and even before spanish colonization happened and u.s colonization happened and japanese colonization happened like we had babaylan who are like the healers and like artists of the village who were fluid between genders like they were basically like queer i have no idea what those words are because they've obviously been written and erased but i feel like to this day like my identification with gender is constantly knowing that like i however i'm feeling that day i can either present masculine or feminine or both or not experience a gender at all it's just depending on how i want to present that day and that also comes with the privilege of being able to like have that fluidity because for some there are people who like feel like i am specifically this or i'm specifically this but currently in my life right now that's where i am i feel very fluid and shape-shifting and that might change in a few years and that may change in the next decade i really don't know but i'm very happy where i am now because i feel like as long as i'm able to like experience and express that i'm the more i'm able to find who i am today so that's been my experience and i think when i was able to move out and create my own life as a 
queer person who like left home because I wasn't accepted for my identity and being around other people who were like comfortable and strong in that I was able to experiment and experience that like there's something more than just being like the oldest quote-unquote daughter and like a very catholic like family like I can be other things I don't have to just do like these roles that the society wants me to do like I can be strong and I can be brilliant and all these other things that like the assigned female at birth like people usually have to succumb to it yeah what are some strategies that you use to deal with being misgendered something that i try to do is like understand where the person's coming from like is the person coming from a place of not knowing or like not understanding or are they coming from like a malicious place you Mm. know sometimes i think it's also cultural where like especially like you know in like immigrant families or like super religious families like our cultures like there's it's harder for people to kind of like understand that like if i tried to talk to my my grandma about like what being non-binary is i feel like she would be really fucking confused and like not a not necessarily able to like grasp what that means so i think like for me if like i feel like the like the person who is misgendering like just doesn't understand like then I'll try to do that work of like educating in a way that is like really easy to understand because I think also like gender can get really academic too just with like queer theory and like gender studies and I think like it's really easy I think like for me especially because I did study it too to to, like sometimes go into the like really like deep like theory about it all because also like that stuff really interests me because a lot of it is really just like about like the history and like decolonizing where it all came from and like understanding that which like I'm kind of like a nerd for shit like that so I really like learning about all of it but also like if I'm talking to my grandma who like left who like literally like stopped her education at like 13 years old she's not gonna know what i'm saying (laughs) so i think it's like also like a big thing too is just like being able to explain things in a way that like people can understand it you know like just literally like i think that if i if yeah like i feel like it's worth the effort and the labor of like talking to someone about why they're like thinking that way or like why they're doing that then like I'll put that work in and I'll make it like really as accessible and understandable as possible because I think that once people like are introduced to like where people are coming from with it I think that sometimes they're able to like grow and understand not always but I do think like sometimes it that does make a difference I think for me like I currently like don't identify with like she pronouns so if someone she's me i'll just be like oh by the way like i use they them pronouns or you can refer to me to my for to my name and then just be like oh what's a what's a they where are all of them like where are what do you mean like there's multiple people i thought was just you like they and i'll just be like oh no like they them is just basically like trying to like explain like I'm trying to trying to explain that I'm not a he or she I'm they and I think what's really helpful too with like if it's like a felt like from my family or like from my culture I'll just be like you know how we use Shasala or Ela Ela pronouns but that's just the English version of it like you don't say that like in Kapampanga and they'll be like they'll try to understand um but I think something that is helpful when it happens to other friends that I've done multiple times is like 
for example like i was at a punk we were at a punk festival and it's like very dominated by a lot of cis male like punks right which is fine um and one of my friends and i were just like cleaning up some glass that fell and one of the older punks was just like hey man can you don't have to bend that way while you're sweeping and my friend who identifies as she and they pronouns i'd just be like oh she can handle it she can stay down there she can bend down and they can do it just like automatically using the pronoun correcting them in that way and like not even sometimes having that conversation and then the elder was just like all right yeah she can handle it just like acting and practicing it and like sometimes not even coming from an education standpoint or like an attacking just like embodying it and like allowing that person to like notice like oh something's happening here and i can adjust and if they don't and then they become kind of mean about it then that's when you have the conversation so it's just like we obviously had the honor and like the luck and the privilege to be in so many spaces like whether that's at shows or at dinners or like workshops or just like at the rave classes classes, like with our loved ones to be able to understand this that Mm -hmm. sometimes the people we're around aren't in those same spaces Mm -hmm. and of course they aren't because our whole world is hetero cisnormative What are your thoughts around all the anti-trans legislation that has been introduced in the last couple of years? How does it affect you and your community? Um, The reality is, like, really bleak, you know? It's like this is, like, something that is, you know, like, really deeply impacting people in our community. I think it's really special because my younger sibling works at, like, a trans health clinic. And, like, they said that, like, oh, yeah, like, like a lot of their friends come through and, like, are able to, like, receive care. But I think, like... That's California. That's California. And I think, like, the experience in California and, like, in cities like Oakland or SF or LA is, like, such a different experience than, like, what I can't even imagine queer and trans people go through in, like, the Midwest or in the South or in, like, mostly red states when members of our community are being attacked and like not being allowed to be in their like highest truth that's something that like we all have to be aware of and we all have to fight for because also it's like that doesn't mean that the resources that exist in california can't disappear at any moment too so it's like if we're not like you know like advocating and like being a part of yeah like raising attention and like fighting in solidarity then like that doesn't mean that like this this isn't gonna come to places where there is trans affirming healthcare or there is like and even though there is like certain like uh, like some insurance takes like takes hormone prescriptions or takes like um gender affirming surgery but actually there are still a lot of folks even in california or in la or in the bay who still like do not get that covered by insurance and are like crowdsourcing and like doing you know like fundraisers to be able to get that care that they need and there isn't like there isn't like a structure of aftercare either too you know 
I think it's just like um, if LGBTQ people are being turned away from getting medical care, imagine that this imagine what this LGBTQ person is already experiencing in their home. When they go home and they go into their room with their parents and they're looking at them and they're already thinking that they don't deserve to be loved and cared for for who they are. Imagine that LGBTQ person at school where they're constantly questioning their existence and their ability to thrive and be successful because their peers are looking down on them. And then on top of that, their mental, physical, and spiritual, like, desire to live is already being tainted and then on top of that if something physically is going wrong they're going to be turned away by medical health care professionals and like people who are meant to like allow people to survive and then they're also being turned away there where do these people go where do lgbtq people go they end up on the streets they end up houseless they end up end up more mentally ill they end up experiencing a lot of ptsd they end up feeling like they don't have a place in this world and it is our duty to like make sure that the the most marginalized and the most oppressed people who are lgbtq youth are like held and loved and cared for and the more that we in our own close circles and in our own close relationships and our families and our workplaces accept that the more we can make a bigger change because honestly like the government and like the medical industrial complex will probably take a few like decades and ages to like shift that but in our own like everyday daily life to life when we see like queer and trans presenting or lgbtq youth and like give them all the love in the world i feel like that can be a concrete shift until then because like summer was saying like the aftercare and the crowdsourcing like that's coming from all of our pockets when we're already like on the fringes like trying to survive it's the same 20 dollars that's being passed around when there are resources like when the when covid started hitting out i'm like the, the vaccines were able to be rolled out like one of our teachers dean was like when aids was happening like they could have easily made a vaccine but they didn't because it was a war on like gay and like queer and trans people but when covid happens and there's a vaccine and capitalism is under leash and people are losing their jobs and losing money of course this vaccine can be rolled out but when it came to aids where was that you know what i mean yeah and i mean even now I with, monkey with monkeypox it's like there are li- <clears throat> they're literally only putting out like such a limited amount of vaccines and on top of that they're like only prioritizing like specific groups of people like whether it's like gay men or Or trans women yeah well that makes sense you know but also like it's like they're also like limiting the these resources that are like directly impacting queer and trans people like monkeypox is literally like the bay is like the epicenter right now and that's like so many like you know there's like people in our community in the bay who are like oh shit like so and so got monkeypox like they haven't been able like this person hasn't been able to get the vaccine yet you know it's like shit like that where it's like there's resources and the ability to like give people like the care that they need but it's just not prioritized because the state does not care or value the lives of queer and trans people and especially like you know like within that like black and brown queer and trans people like and afro-indigenous yeah. our podcast today is brought to you by better help i've been doing therapy since my late 20s and to me therapy is everything you know it really is it's helped me get through some of the roughest times in my life and live my life more truly 
BetterHelp provides online therapy directly to you at a price that's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. So it's a great way to invest in yourself without breaking the bank and just kind of experiment with talking to another individual whose only job in the world is to help you unravel yourself and take a look at your defenses. When you sign up, you'll match with a therapist according to your needs. And who knows, it might take a few tries to find the right fit for you, so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. They have a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash When they ask you how you heard of BetterHelp, be sure to type in Voices of Esalen. According to the Trevor Project, 42% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered suicide in the past year, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. Is risk of suicide something that you've encountered in your community? Absolutely. Like, it, it's very present in our community. It's present within us. It's present with the people that we love when, like, the will to live and to survive is so hard when you walk out into the world and everyone sees you as like not who you are or like accepts you and like sees you for who you are so it's very hard to live and it's just like if like you can't get your job because you're trans or you're queer or you can't get an apartment because your landlord looks at you and and is very homophobic or transphobic and doesn't believe you can pay your bills or you like try to get a credit card and your credit score fails because of the way that you're presenting or you're at a grocery store trying to buy food and like people are looking at you and making you feel uncomfortable those are just your ways of getting basic needs and you're the world it feels like the world is against you and it's like hard to survive you know and i feel like a lot of the suicide or like the suicidal ideation that happens is like the world that we live in isn't meant for us and sometimes like we have to create new worlds and like build that with each other but it's so hard to make and build that world as something that's sustainable and can last so long when there are barely any resources for us to continue yeah i mean i feel like every week there's like a different you know, like, crisis that has happened. Like, it's not... I think the... Especially now with COVID, too, and just how much more isolated I think people are. And just, like, how much people are going through right now, just, like, with like not being able to get basic needs met or, like, being more isolated or, like, dealing with so much death and grief right now I think like there's just it's really heavy like I feel like every week there is like a new a new crisis that's happened or like a new it's a lot it's a lot everyone is really struggling to survive right now and I don't think that like as a community we are able to we don't have the resources to hold each other enough and I think that that is, you know, like something that so many mutual aid groups and like organizers are building. But at the same time, it's like so many people get left in the cracks or like just don't like have access to even like community, like even knowing what community is. Even with like overdoses, there's just so much that is happening all the time. 
and it's really it's really tough and I think too the piece you said about like isolation especially if this is a statistic about very young like queer and trans LGBTQ folks like these are young folks who have to be at home with their parents who are homophobic or transphobic especially if it's like COVID and there's monkeypox and people have to isolate you have these youth who are stuck in their houses with their parents who don't accept them and the only viable way to like have community or connection is through the internet and the virtual world and that's extremely beautiful and can be very fortifying but it's extremely different when you're in the same room as someone who sees you for who you are and wants to see you grow and uplift you and like loves you you know i think like you said like something is always happening like we'll get a call or someone's in the hospital we'll get a call someone's like on the verge of like needing like a care team on the way and like we're all already like at the edge of burnout just trying to survive so it always feels extremely overwhelming and i think things can definitely change like resources are there you know so even going on social media a lot of people right now are like posting like mutual aid calls because they like need housing or like just went through something and like need funds someone got their car stolen someone's like apartment burned down like just so much is also happening on social media as well where it's not always like a safe space for people either because it's also a network of sharing like rapid response to crisis so it's like sometimes even if people want to go on online to be able to like connect with their friends or their loved ones it's also like just being bombarded with the reality of how much people are going through right now and how helpless it sometimes feels to see all of these like slides and slides and slides of like different people with like different really messed up things happening and then just also like you know like feel kind of like helpless in the face of that because it's like not all like no one person is gonna be able to solve all these problems but at the same time like none of this is stopping so what does that mean you know The day after signing two controversial bills into law, Governor Doug Ducey defending his decision. One of the bills bans gender-affirming surgeries for trans youth under 18. The other bill bans transgender girls from playing sports that align with their gender identity in all public schools. It, it was a punch. It was a punch, you know. It, it takes away our rights as parents to make decisions to go there with our children. She has a four-year-old daughter who is transgender. The preschooler loves to draw, play, and likes to swim. For her, for me to say, you'll never be part of a team, right? What you, I, don't, I just don't even know how, how I'll, I'll, I'll tell her that. How can like people or like celebrities get like 
surgeries to like get their nose fixed or like increase their butt volume but like a trans person who needs affirming surgery just so that they can go into work and feel safe and not be harassed like that's illegal like if the celebrity needs to walk down the red carpet with a big butt but like a trans person like can't go into into work to literally clock in and pay their rent to not only house them but the three like houseless youth who's also in their house and probably their family like the government should not have any power over that and i can definitely see the connection yeah i think like the state trying to take away anyone's right to their own personal autonomy is an attack on queer and trans people is an attack on people of color undocumented people disabled people like people across all like identities we have to understand that anytime there is an attack on any specific community like that means that's an attack on all of us because like our fights are all connected we're not separated into these separate groups we need to be fighting in solidarity with each other because that's really all we have do you think it's possible to create an equitable society within the context of capitalism no (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like as long as capitalism runs like we all genuinely will not be able to like love and honor each other in the ways that we want to because we're exploited we're tired we're working we're in institutions and workplaces and establishments that don't allow us to like love and each other and like slow down and like care for each other and as long as capitalism exists we will constantly have a society where one is oppressing the other and someone's exploited even with our own like relationship and our own practice like i'm sure there's so much more art that we can be doing and i'm sure there's so many more ways that i could love you and like honor you that i don't have access to because we have to fucking worry about where we're gonna sleep or like how we're gonna put food on the table or we're gonna get our homies like the gas money they need to get to a and b like i genuinely don't think there can be an equitable society as long as capitalism runs like we work at star farm we're literally growing food for the people and like we're genuinely doing that and then half of the other time we're worried about like getting this food to like rich people so that we can like pay for the food that's like feeding other people and that burns us all out as farmers you know what i mean so it's just i genuinely don't believe it's possible um yeah (laughs) very strongly about it i think um (laughs) i don't remember where i learned this but i know i learned this somewhere and whoever taught it to me thank you um (laughs) Capitalism is rooted in slavery and indigenous genocide, and that's the roots of the system that we live in. Like, that system never disappeared, you know? There was never, in America, there was never an upheaval of the system that existed when Columbus came and when colonizers came. Like, that system is still here, um, even if the the ways that things are worded have changed that system has not changed and i think as long as we live under that we will not have an equitable society i think that in order for us to have a free society and have a society where all of us are free um we have to break down we have to destroy capitalism like we have to break it down like we have to destroy western american capitalism because that shit is the root of so much evil and so much evil worldwide and has been such an imperialist and fascist force not only 
on Turtle Island on the United States of America, but literally in so many places across the world and even in space now. And I think like until we, yeah, like we get rid of this corrupt system, like we're not gonna have an equitable society. It's just not possible. And I think we can, you know, do what we can to make lives better for each other and ourselves. But climate chaos is real and the earth is so angry at what we've like done to this planet. So if we don't destroy the system, like the earth will come for it. So one thing I do have to say is that, you know, yes, destroy capitalism and like, yes, end the government on all these things. And I think that will take like a worldwide movement to happen. But until then, like we currently live in capitalism. And that is just the reality. And we may not see the end of it in our time, in my time, in your time. But until then, people still have to eat. Until then, people still have to pay rent. Until then, people still have medical bills to pay. So if you're in a position where you have an exorbitant amount or an extra amount of intergenerational or like intergenerational wealth or wealth that you've been able to accumulate through generations because of your position in this country, it is your duty and your responsibility and your privilege to redistribute that wealth to people who were have are in the same country as you not by choice but because of slavery because of genocide because of exploitation and if we want an equitable society within capitalism we have to redistribute our funds we have to redistribute our funds to black trans women we have to redistribute our funds to afro-indigenous elders they're in currently we're at Esalen and this is in Northern California and this is about three hours away from Oakland and San Francisco which is known as Ohlone land. There's this Orgoratea land trust. There is a movement where there is a trust where folks can send their funds and their and their wealth to the Ohlone people so that they can be in right relation with their land and get housing and fund their, their community and their generations to come. Until capitalism breaks down, we can say fuck capitalism, you can be all anarchist and all the fuck you want to do, but until then, you have the power and the choice and opportunity to redistribute your wealth. If you see a mutual aid call, this isn't someone just asking for money because they just want to get money from you. This is someone asking for their life. This is someone asking to see tomorrow. Yeah. Can you talk about fashion as it relates to your art practice and the way that you work with identity in public spaces? For those who haven't seen pictures of you, you have a bold sense of aesthetics with multicolored dyed hair, partially shaved skulls, piercings, shaved eyebrows, super cool, futuristic, upcycled clothes. Yeah, is your apparel meant to elicit a reaction? We're not dressing up to shock you. We're not dressing up to get a rise out of you. We're dressing up so we can be in front of you, so we can feel safe in front of you. In a world that so often tells you how to be, how to look, how to dress, um, in a world that also polices the way that people express themselves, to be able to express ourselves and like feel in our power is like most important. And I think 
one thing too is like when you're walking in the world where there are a lot of things that are being pushed on you it's important that you're wearing your armor it's important that you're feeling in your power it's important that you're feeling protected whether that's amulets of crystals or bones or things that loved ones have gifted it's making sure that you're walking with all the people that have come before you because a lot of the fashion too that we wear is like gifts from loved ones or from other artists with like-minded visions and like-minded mindsets so it's also carrying their message carrying their spirit and like knowing that when we walk into a room it's not just us two but everybody before us everybody after us and everybody that we're also channeling through what we're wearing the way that I think a lot of queer and trans people of color use fashion is like as a not only form of protection but also like a form of power and like self-expression where mm -hmm. it's like we live in a world that's already telling people that they have to be this way or this way and I think like you know with fashion for us it's like well why not just be as like freaky and weird and like just do things that like maybe people won't necessarily understand but it's not for them it's for us because mm -hmm. like when you live in a world that's telling you how to be and like you don't fit into that then like allowing yourself to wear what you want to wear and feel in your power doing that um I think is really where the fashion comes from because it's like yeah like fashion really is a, a form of protection and a form of power. One thing that I really admire about both of you is that you work as land stewards and organic farmers to help support yourselves. Can you talk to me about what farming and food justice mean to you? I think for us, like we're really on this journey of going to different locate, like different farms and trying to learn the skills of farming and ways that we can bring that back to LA. You know, when the pandemic first hit and you go to the grocery store and there's all of these uh, empty shelves everywhere, everyone's freaking out. Everyone's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? There's like no food. And like, you know, I think for us, like we were in LA, we were in like a city that, you know, has a high proportion of food deserts and pollution, not a lot of green space, not a lot of natural landscape, not good nourishing soil in most parts of LA and like... There's a drought. And there's a drought, yeah. So it really brought up the question of like, what are our communities going to do if there are grocery stores don't restock their food and it like really brought up questions of like well we really need to learn how to farm and how to grow our own food so that's something that we can bring back to our friends and our families and our communities who don't have access to doing that and like you know as we're moving in a world with such intense climate crisis and the drought is getting worse and like all of these things are like pushing against our ability to not only like get our basic needs met but also be in right relationship with the earth it's really important that we all are able to have the skills to like grow our own food and be able to nourish ourselves with food straight from the earth's soil. Most of the food that we eat here is coming from other countries whether that's like Asia and other places like a lot of the food that we're getting is imported because we don't know how to grow our own food here we're not growing seasonally, we're up against Monsanto and like 
big agricultural corporations that care more about the, qu the quantity of the food that we're eating, not its nutritional value, not what's in it, not if it's good for our bodies, but just to have enough food and money to feed people. And we're not really feeding people with the med medicinal right of like what's necessary and what's nourishing, right? And also you have communities like, in, especially indigenous communities out, outside of America who like can't even farm in their own land, right? Because we have logging and manufacturing companies coming in, drilling it up, logging it, taking those minerals, using the same like chemicals and everything that are in the same like technological thing that you're using right now, like those minerals are coming from another country whose soil was meant to grow vegetables and fruit, which you're now also eating. So it's like on this mission of learning how to farm ourselves here, it's also a mission that's like local, global, and like for all the world and for the future generations. Um, before we came here, we were listening to an Ohlone elders talk about how like it is our duty and our mission here on this planet to make sure that for seven generations ahead of us, we're creating soil where they can grow food. Like that is that is our mission and how are we creating our lifestyle around that? And in order to do that, you have to learn how to farm. And like Summer was saying in LA, there's not really much places to farm. So we found ourselves like moving to Wisconsin and doing an artist residency in farm trade there. If you are on earth, you should be able to live on Earth for free because the Earth is big and huge and has space for us. So I think through traveling through different farms and different places, most of them have been like dominantly run by white people or are owned by people with a lot of intergenerational wealth. And I think from traveling from different ones, I think we're on a journey to constantly learn these skills um, and then also hopefully one day like open one in collaboration in with our community and our friends to open a, a farm in an autonomous space where we can also hold and feed people and teach the skills that we've been learning the past one or two years and continuing. It seems like in your life there's an abundance of pain. There's an abundance of joy. Which, which is there more of these days? Mm. such a beautiful question yeah i think um i think that what is you know one of the most beautiful things i think about being part of like the queer and trans community is that i think like immense like the amount of as much as there is so much like immense suffering and pain like i feel like people also just like know how to like live out their lives like live their best lives when they can um and i think that that's really beautiful too is like having a lot of moments of like fun and like really sweet moments um and i think also like moments that make it worth fighting for our reasons to continue doing this work and like believing that there will be like abundance and there will be ease for people and that there will be like a different way of living and like a different way of surviving we have to have a lot of joy to be able to continue because otherwise it's just like there's just too much you know there's too much immense pain to hold like it's too much for one person or two people or three people to hold where do your moments of joy come from um i think definitely like being at 
some of the shows that we play, like being able to see like other artists and like talk to people, having like community dinners, just like having like little like kikis and like camping trips and just like fun with friends and like loved ones and when we're like chilling and resting like having like really beautiful moments of just like being at a rave in the forest and like having a really good time or um yeah like yes it's it's very hard and honestly it's like it's very very hard and very bleak I think pain is what bonds you the most with the people that you love and pain and suffering is like what connects you to people more than anything and I think with the people that I love and all the pain and like suffering that we've had to move through because we are trans and queer people and specifically like trans and queer punks and like freaks and like earth like stewards I think is also a different experience from just being queer and trans too I would like to say but I think just like the active choice to like find moments where we can come together like even if when we're isolated it's extremely hard for me but when we come together for a festival or when we come together to like farm or garden or when we come together to make a meal or we come together to celebrate someone's birthday or we come together because someone has passed or we come together for a protest or we come together for an action or we come together because someone's in the hospital and we have to visit them I think those are my moments of joy and the more that the state and all these anti-trans laws and all these resources are stripped away the more we will be isolated so the more that we find places that we can come together i feel like is what gives me joy and the most joy that i have felt for the longest time was recently at this festival that's called the 143rd dimension um it's also called the multiverse is eliminated or the universe is lit it's a specifically a black and brown queer trans punk festival that happens in the bay area it's been happening for six to seven years it was started by black and brown queer and trans punks from oakland to name a few it's like charmy juice box and shauna shante and it's i what i think joy and revolution and freedom is it's basically a festival that brings queer and trans artists from all over the world a queer trans artist of color black and brown from all over the world pays them really well gets some food gets some house like supports their housing and on top of that it's a free festival on top of that it's all ages and everyone comes together and i think those are the moments of joy and those are the moments where like i also feel like I want to put my energy into and my resources into because I'm tired of the narrative of suffering. I'm tired of having a chip on my shoulder. I want to invest like so much of my time and energy into creating generations of like joy that happen like through the creation of art and these festivals. Another thing too is I feel like seeing elders. Um, oh yeah. Seeing like queer and trans elders is like so important because it's like oh holy shit like. I'm gonna live. Y'all are like out here. (laughs) Like, y'all are out here. Like, y'all have like survived and also like have so much to say and also like are so nurturing. Um, I think sometimes like I feel like I feel like old and that I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a baby. (laughs) Like, meeting the elders, I'm just like, oh. There's so much left. Um, yeah, and it's really sweet to like meet 
queer and trans elders and know that they're just like out here surviving and have done so many amazing beautiful things um and continue to how has your time at Esalen transformed you? Yeah, so I feel like being at Esalen has been really transformative in terms of just having a space to create and having a space to work on art and having people who want us here to be artists because, you know, with like a lot of artist residencies or like they're one like really competitive and like they're really hard to get unless you're like a super established artist and have like all of these things under your belt and like all of these like yeah like I've been to this like I, you know like just having like all of this like fancy stuff under your belt and so I feel like we're like starting out and we're like really new and in being like underground artists it's like such a huge opportunity to come to a place and like be able to work on art. I think it's also been a reminder of like how much more we have to go and how much further we have to go before a place like Esalen can really hold trans and queer people of color. And I think, you know, like being in a space that's like predominantly white or like predominantly people of like a certain background has also like been an experience in itself of like, well, as grateful as I am that we have had this opportunity there's still a lot of work to do before other people who also deserve this opportunity and like deserve to just be here period are able to come here in a way that is safe and holistically nourishing. I think Esalen has changed has been a life-altering experience in the sense of like as someone who has always been caretaking, always been working hard, always been working and like has never ever been to be like a child who is just able to just freely roam the earth and create something has been honestly life altering to like just be like okay like I have a place to sleep, I have meals covered and I can just like freely work on my art. I feel like that's you know such a miracle for so many of us and for for me um, and I think with that opportunity to be able to just work and focus on our new song for that's like six minutes and counting and create art and just go and paint and also spend time with people who are literally so amazing and so inspiring and also so committed to the fights that we're committed to it's a reminder that even in a place like this where there's not a lot of us that we can find each other and create our own world and that's still possible here the land here specifically also has been extremely healing and i think the medicine of beauty and the medicine of ease and the medicine of stillness and the medicine of being able to also be here at the same time as Sochil during their teacher in residence and being part of her ceremonies and her teachings and the deep, deep way that she gives such deep respect and reverence to the indigenous peoples who have lived here for 6,000 years has also been life altering and life changing to make sure that we're all committed to making sure that whatever land we enter, we're honoring the spirits and the people who have tended to it and prayed in it and protected it for years and years and years. And only then can we truly be in right relation with the land and moving forward with the people there as well. I think one of my favorite things that 
about and that I love about summer, especially being on this land, is that they're they're like always searching on the ground. Like they're like always so focused on the ground because I think they're just looking for all of the life and like beauty that they can like love and absorb. Like we'll be walking, they'll be like, Oh my god, there's this butterfly on the floor that needs to be carried to a flower. <laughs> like, oh my god, there's a snail that we need to go bury them and like, oh my god, here's this kitty. I'm gonna spend thirty minutes just cutting them because I love them so much. Or um there's this caterpillar that's like right there and I'm like, wow, your your ability and your eyes and like their their deep, deep ways of seeing the unseen are so incredible because it's like not only on the ground are you able to see these creatures, I can't even imagine the spirits that you see, the depth of people's hearts. And I think one thing that I love about you is your willingness to go deep and your willingness to open up your heart and your spirit to see something that isn't easily seen and to really like go behind the veil and like really like crawl yourself in and like take that or that creature spirit's hand and then like fly into something bigger because you're willing to do that. And so often people are just gonna be like, I need to get to where I need to be, fuck the ground, or like, hello, and like, go have a good day, but you really like, want to take the time and like, open yourself up to something bigger than you in any, in any form, even if that's just like, walking to go get food or something, so, mm. yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, something I love about Mango is like, no matter what the situation is, I feel like Mango will find a way to deeply connect with another person. Like, it's like, no matter how tired they are, like, if they got, like, one hour of sleep, had, like, the worst day of their life, even if they see, like, one person that day, I, that day, I feel like they'll still find a way to show care to that person. And I think, like, that just shows like how big their heart is because it's like you know I feel like we live in this world where like everyone is kind of like in their own little little thing and I feel like Mango is always like reaching out reaching out reaching out even in times where I'm like, damn, bitch, like, how do you still have the energy right now? Like, do you, like, you just went through so much last night. <laughs> or, like, wow, like, you know, even though, like, you're in, like, a space that, or, like, wow, like, I can't believe you can still show up with that much, like, love for someone, even though, like, you are going through so much in that moment, too. Or, like, you know, like, I see that you are someone on this planet who you know is like someone that I can also find something to love in thank you mm -hmm. what is something that you wish for Esalen going forward mm. I feel like if mm. Esalen is very committed to human potential I feel like I would love to come back and see the grounds filled with queer and trans black indigenous people of color filtering through the space. We really have to center the most marginalized people. Artists of color, like black and indigenous people, disabled folks, so many different communities. It's like a space like this could actually be so life-changing and recharging and important. And I think that that access is like a really important part of what human potential actually looks like. 
I feel really blessed to have been able to come here and rest um, and have time to create. And I think that so many people deserve to have that opportunity who are not given it. And I think that that is something that I would really like to see. I pray I pray for the people who have graced this land for so long. I pray for those who have passed on this land whose bones are still buried here. I pray for the Esalen people and I pray that they will one day be rightfully returned to this land that is so rightfully theirs and be able to frequent its waters. I pray that the Esalen who are alive right now have everything they need, are living lives filled with beauty and love and compassion that they have all that they could ever ask for and hope for in this world. I pray for my people, I pray for all of the queer and trans people of color who can't imagine a place like this existing, who maybe will never see the ocean in their lifetime, who will never be able to bathe in mineral water from a mountain. I pray that they also feel the healing of this land, that they feel the way that the waves crash against the shore and you can smell it. I pray for their presence here. I pray that they are able to come here too one day and I pray that this place becomes a sanctuary for them as well. Then I pray that all the people who work here, especially the POC who work here, are able to receive nourishing healing, their basic needs met, comfort, reciprocity, ease. I pray that all of the creatures, the two-legged, the wing, the insect, and the animals who grace this land are able to be in harmony again and do not have to fend their lives against the highway, do not have to wait for the dumpster bones to be fed, that their families can come back and be in right relationship with the humans who tend this land. I pray that these soils are tended by people who deeply know its magic and deeply want to grow its medicine and food. I pray that every foot and every toe and every heart and every being that enters this land opens themselves up to the bigger freedom and liberation of all who enter here. I pray that every time anybody leaves this place, they're able to be reminded of this beauty and the magic and the tenderness and the kindness they receive and to share that with every person they meet so that a beautiful place like this can exist all over the world and that places like this can open up pathways for the healing we all need to in order to create a free and liberated and just world. And I pray that one day this land is held by people who have so long been held in cages, who have so long been wounded by war, who have so long been wounded by violence and are, come, are able to come here and feel the beauty of life to continue and know that there is nothing else but this. Today's episode was produced in conjunction with Shira Levine. 
Our music is by Nico Holliman. If you or someone you know needs counseling or someone to talk to, the trevorproject.org is a site with a lot of resources, especially for young people. You can text START to 678-678 and you'll be connected to a counselor who is understanding of LGBTQ issues. All your messages are anonymous and you can share as much or as little as you want. You can also call at 1-866-488-7386. It's 100% free. Again, that's 1-866-488-7386. Many pieces of music today that were featured in the show were created by Mirrored Fatality. To check out all their songs and support them, go to mirroredfatality.bandcamp.com music.